Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Sojourner Truth is now a weekly show. Cutting back on the number of days I do the show was my choice, not KPFK or any of the other Pacifica stations. Indeed, many of the stations that carried the show tried to talk me out of it, but it was time. I'm glad to make the way for new voices, new hosts to be heard during the regular Sojourner Truth time slot. And I wish each and every one of them every success. I'm glad for all the concern and well wishes from so many of you and to assure you all that Sojourner Truth will continue to have a presence on these airwaves, though on a reduced schedule. For the past few weeks, I have been traveling, doing movement work, and for the next period, we'll share with you some of the sound from those travels. One of the events I participated in was part of the, I was part of the California delegation to the Congress of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. The event was held in Washington, D.C. from June 19th to 21st, 2023. Delegations participated from 30 states around the country, as well as participants from member organizations of the Poor People's Campaign. There were over 700 participants, all enthusiastic and ready to continue the work of building the PPC. The first Poor People's Campaign was put forward by the National Welfare Rights Organization to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who followed up on their suggestion. Dr. King was assassinated before the first Poor People's Campaign could come to fruition. But people who worked closely with Dr. King and campaigners with the National Welfare Rights Organization ensured that the PPC would continue and become a reality. And indeed it did, with thousands of people in 1968 from across the nation of all races, immigration status, urban and rural, descended on Washington, D.C. for what was the first um, occupation of the nation's capital that we know of. The Poor People's Campaign was then revived on Mother's Day in 2018 by the joint coordinators, the Reverend William Barber, now Bishop Barber of Repairs of the Breach, and the Reverend Liz Theo Harris of the Cairo Center. Today, the PPC is a fusion movement that refuses to separate the interlocking injustices of poverty, racism, the war economy, ecological devastation, and what they describe as the nation's twisted moral narrative. The PPC proclaims, quote, when we lift from the bottom, everybody rises. At their events, they highlight the stories of those most impacted by interlocking injustices, not only personal stories, but how impacted people are coming together to push back. There are PPC coordinating groups now in 40 states across the nation. The PPC is calling for a new period of reconstruction in the nation, one that ends poverty and its related injustices. And with the recent actions by the U.S. Supreme Court rolling back 
hard fought for rights and protections, including affirmative action, with military budgets continuing to increase, with the climate at a crisis level, and the right to welfare, food stamps, and other social programs being made into forced work programs, with the ending of the extended child tax credit that lifted millions of children out of poverty, with the rise of white supremacist activity, a fusion movement like the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, it seems, is needed more than ever. At the 2023 PPC Congress, a study was introduced that confirmed what many of us knew, which is that poverty is a leading cause of death in the United States. The study put forward at the PPC Congress confirmed that indeed poverty is the fourth leading cause of death in the United States. The Congress included plenary sessions, time for state meetings, an afternoon of lobbying on the Hill, and the reintroduction of the third reconstruction resolution by Congresswoman Barbara Lee and Jayapal. And marking the July 4th, the day that Frederick Douglass posed the question, what does July 4th mean to me a slave? July 4th marking Independence Day. Today, we bring you part one of a presentation made by Bishop Barber at the 2023 Poor People's Campaign Congress. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. And today we will bring you part one of a presentation made by Bishop William Barber at the 2023 Poor People's Campaign Moral Congress. But first, our news headlines. I'm Max Pringle with these headlines. Police say a gunman in a bulletproof vest opened fire on the streets of Philadelphia, killing five people and wounding two before he was taken into custody. Donna Warder reports. Five people are dead and two are injured after a gunman opened fire on the streets of Philadelphia. Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw says the gunman wore a bulletproof vest and carried an AR-type rifle and another weapon as he opened fire Monday night, killing four adults, a male between 16 and 21, and wounding a two-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy. In a news conference carried by WPVI in Philadelphia, Outlaw says there were police nearby who chased down the gunman as he continued to fire. Thank God uh, our officers were here on scene. They responded as quickly as they did. Outlaw says the gunman is a 40-year-old man, and police say one victim was chased into his home and shot to death. A second person was also taken into custody who may have returned fire at the suspect, but police don't know whether there's a connection between the two. I'm Donna Water. 
Meanwhile, in Fort Worth, Texas, police say yet another mass shooting left at least three people dead and eight others wounded. Fort Worth police said 10 of the victims are adults and one is a minor. Officers discovered multiple people shot in a parking lot and took them to the hospital. Police were still looking for a motive. According to the Gun Violence Archive, the Fort Worth mass shooting is one of at least six mass shootings in the first three days of July and one of at least 300 41 mass shootings in the nation this year. The Philadelphia and Fort Worth mass shootings followed another one in Baltimore that killed two and wounded dozens over the weekend. The epidemic of gun violence in the United States and the weakening of gun safety laws in much of the nation has prompted the California legislature to push for measures to strengthen what are already the strongest gun control laws in the nation. Christopher Martinez has more. California entered its new fiscal year July 1st with a new gun safety law, a measure by Democratic Assemblymember Phil Ting of San Francisco that will let gun violence victims sue gun dealers and manufacturers whose illegal actions cause harm. Several other measures moved through committee last week. Democratic Senator Anthony Porrentino of Burbank presented his Senate Bill 2, a bill to strengthen California's concealed carry gun law in the Assembly Public Safety Committee. The bill is a response to a recent Supreme Court ruling known as Bruin that struck down some types of concealed carry laws. One provision of Portentino's measure would set a minimum age of 21 years to get a concealed carry permit. The bill was sponsored by Governor Gavin Newsom and State Attorney General Rob Bonta. SB2 is supported by groups like Moms Demand Action, the Brady Campaign, and the City of Los Angeles. Opponents include gun industry and gun owner groups. Reporting for Pacifica Radio News KPFA, I'm Christopher Martinez. Hundreds of Israeli troops are pressing ahead with their hunt for Palestinian militants and weapons in a West Bank refugee camp for a second day. The Palestinian Health Ministry says the two-day death toll rose to 10 and that dozens were injured. Charles de la Desma has more. Hundreds of Israeli troops are pressing ahead with their hunt for Palestinian militants and weapons in a West Bank refugee camp for a second day. Gunshots and blasts could be heard in the area of Janin refugee camp on Tuesday morning, a day after Israel launched its most intense military operation in the occupied West Bank in nearly two decades. Some Palestinians have been killed and dozens wounded in the operation so far. While on Monday night, hundreds of Hamas supporters gathered in Jabalia in the north of the Gaza Strip to show solidarity with Palestinians in the Janian refugee camp. I'm Charles Diladesma. And I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio. Those were our news headlines. Let us go now to part one of Bishop William Barber addressing the 2023 Poor People's Campaign Moral Poverty Action Congress. Poverty is America's death sentence, and we won't be silent anymore until change comes. I want to ask in advance your love and forgiveness. I'm not going to be able to be this afternoon at the conference. I just retired yesterday from from 30 years at one pastorate in the deep south. 
that had the nerve to be a radical hospitality and affirming church. Amen. That's a long time. 30 years in the deep south. And I didn't realize how emotional it would be. Because when you start out pastoring, you start out pastoring people and then members and then friends and then family. But the time had come to step away in order to train now other clergy who I hope I can give some things that they can do what I've tried to do and what Liz has tried to do even better. And so I want to be fully engaged uh, in the work of helping to pastor this movement and, and, and at the Yale Center for Public Policy and Public Theology to train up a thousand clergy in five years. That's the goal. And part of the problem is I didn't think that the Lord would let me get 60 and then get me pregnant again with a new idea. I'm a little old to be carrying a baby, but uh, God did it for uh, Elizabeth and, and, and Zachariah, then I guess God can still do the same thing today. So would you allow me? Thank you. So would you allow me after uh, to this morning to just rest? I need to cry some. I need to rest some. I need to sleep. But I promise you, if life still lasts, that we'll be with you on the front line tomorrow on Capitol Hill. Two weeks ago, my youngest son lifted this poem from a 19th century abolitionist. I didn't even know he knew this poem or was studying him. And when I asked him why, he said, Daddy, because this poem was written in a time of death. It was a time when Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was dealing with death in his family. He was dealing with the deaths because of slavery. He was an abolitionist, a white abolitionist. And he was dealing with watching literally the death of the democracy because America would not deal with her second original sin. The first one was her brutal hatred and hurt toward indigenous people. And her second was snatching people from one land to another land, coming up with the false identity of color in order to create a policy of racism, in order to make money off of the free labor of other people. And so as we go through that and these times, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, can be counted among the abolitionists who weren't about color. When you talk about the abolitionists, you got to talk about Harriet Tubman and Henry, Harriet Beecher Stowe. You got to talk about Frederick Douglass and William Lord Garrison. And in the time of dealing with death around him, wrestling with how to live, Wadsworth Longfellow wrote something called a Psalm of Life. I want to speak it here to you because it has in it some guiding principles for our work 
in the days ahead. We are not an organization. We are organized, but we're not an organization. We are a movement. And we're not separate movements in separate states. We're movements. All of you voluntarily said you wanted to be a part of the work that the repairs of the breach in the Cairo Center was setting off in 2018. But here's the psalm of life. What the heart of the young man said to the psalmist. Tell me not in mournful numbers. Life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers. And things are not what they seem. Life is real. Life is earnest. And the grave is not the goal. Dust thou art. To dust returneth, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act, to act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. Art is long and time is fleeting. And our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb driven cattle, be a hero in the strife. Trust no future, however pleasant, let the dead past bury the, its dead. Act, act, act in the living present, heart within, and God overhead. Lives of great men all around all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another sailing over life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, seeing those footprints shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate still achieving still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait, act. Wadsworth knew in the face of death, policies that kill, structures that kill, people who believe in justice must act. We cannot be like dumb driven cattle. We must be heroes and sheroes in the strife. Frederick Douglass, I read this every week of my life, after the signing of the Dred Scott decision, when the Supreme Court, he said, was stacked against us, the magistrates, the armed forces, the, the misuse of the Constitution, the Dred Scott decision was passed by a stacked Supreme Court, that ain't new, y'all, a stacked Supreme Court that did exactly what they were put on the court to do. And they said, declared that a black man or woman had no rights that a white person ever had to acknowledge. 
Frederick Douglass was asked to speak, and he did speak. Sojourner Truth reminded him when he was worried, Frederick, God is not dead. He went to the podium, and for the first 30-some minutes, he labored on how ugly things were, how unjust things were, how harsh things were. But then he said, as monstrous as these decisions are, could something else be at work? He said, could this monstrous act be a necessary link in the chain of events toward the downfall of the entire system of slavery? He said, what I do know is that every attempt to stop us and allow our progress only serves to intensify and embolden our agitation. This is why we this morning will take a hard look at the ugly reality of death by poverty. The fourth leading cause of death in America higher than homicide. And yet every night on the TV you see things about homicide but nothing about policy death and policy murder. But maybe the fact that we are having to face this is in some strange way a necessary link in the chain of events that will not stop us, but will intensify and embolden our agitation. Mother Jones said, you pray for the dead, but you fight like hell for the living. Martin Luther King was headed to D.C. when he stopped by Memphis. The Poor People's Campaign was not started by Dr. King. It was the Welfare Rights Women and Dr. King and Mary Wright Edelman. They were all a team. It wasn't men against women. It wasn't preacher against advocates. It was a team effort. A year before his death, he spoke at Riverside Church and declared that there are three evils, inter the evils, triune evils, poverty, militarism, and racism that had to be addressed and that America could not claim some of the things she was claiming around the world until those things were addressed. The next morning, 150-odd newspapers wrote negative articles. He lost his invitation to the White House. Most of the, his, um, his own denomination talked against him. Many of the civil rights organizations wrote articles against him. He went on during the course of that year, at the end of that year, December, he preached a sermon about the meaning of hope, but he started with despair. He started with the despair talking about the reality of two Americas. One America flowing with milk and honey, where everybody seemed to have everything they need, but a very small portion. The other America, where death and destitution and depravity was the order of the day. And he said, and yet in this despairing reality, we have to challenge it. We have to have this poor people's campaign 
He said three triune evils. Today we say five interlocking injustices. Systemic racism, say that. Systemic, Systemic poverty. Systemic poverty. Ecological devastation. Slash the denial of health care. The war economy. And the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. Five interlocking injustices that today that we must face. He was calling the people and the women were calling the people. My dear sister from California reminded me again, we've been waiting 50 years for this reunion, not to be an organization, not to be a place where you get in and fight over, you know, what color the napkin's going to be for the luncheon and stuff, and who's going to hold an office, but a movement of people, poor and low wealth people, advocates, religious and moral leaders united together. Because, my brothers and sisters, there's one thing I want to say to this gathering in this Congress. This is no time for foolishness. If you are here to fight over foolish things, please exit. Because we don't have time. People are dying. If you're here for any other reason, because nobody has to be here. You're here for any other reason but love and to embrace one another and to move as a movement and to do some things, a few, be faithful over a few things. We love you, but this ain't no time for foolishness. This is only a time to fight for love, fight for justice, and fight for truth. Touch your neighbor and say, if you're here for that, I'm with you. I touched the other one. If you're here for foolishness, please get a ticket back home. <laughs> and so Dr. King was on his way here, and they made their way to Memphis. They were almost going to regroup because they had made the declaration, we're going to stay in D.C., until change comes, but there were some strategic errors in that that later on they talked about. But he went to Memphis where people were dying. Two garbage workers were dying simply because they sat inside of a garbage truck during a rainstorm. And lightning hit the button, caused the truck uh, mechanics to crush them. That's what got him to Memphis. Folk were dying just for trying to get out of the rain. They were already being paid less than a living wage, but they were dying because they weren't allowed to go inside. And somebody said, Doc, why are you going to go to Memphis? He said, issue, you know people are trying to kill you. They've been trying to kill you ever since, especially you did the Riverside speech. And Doc said, the issue is not what's going to happen to me if I go, but what's going to happen to them if I don't. And if we can't stop and care about poor people in Memphis on the way to D.C., if we can't build from the state up, there's no need to go to D.C. down. That's why in this movement, Liz and I have always said, 
and pulling from the Moral Monday movement that we learned several things. Number one, when you get in a movement, you got to stay in it. You can't be a one event, one event movement. You can't get mad because everything doesn't change in one week or because you had one rally. You know, you got to stay in it. And secondly, you have to build from the state up. This country never changed from D.C. down. It changed from Birmingham up, from Selma up, from Greensboro up, from Memphis up, from Little Rock up. And so they just giving me another note. I have to multitask. But not only did this poem say this and Frederick Douglass and Mother Joan, our Constitution says that the whole purpose for this endeavor, and even though as one person said <clears throat> that when the framers of the Constitution were writing, racism was like a cobra underneath the table and every time they attempted to move away from slavery, it would poison the conversation. But even so, somehow, maybe it was the finger of God despite what they were trying to write. It said, to ensure domestic tranquility, to establish justice, to promote the general welfare, and to provide for the common defense. And then in the 1868 and 1870s, the Constitution had a rebirth with the 14th Amendment, equal protection under the law for all citizens. No. Equal protection under law for all persons. Doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. And we must declare that poor people dying at a rate, the fourth highest cause of death in America, is not ensuring domestic tranquility. It is not establishing justice. It is not promoting the general welfare. It is not providing a defense, common defense. And it is not equal protection under the law. And America, since you said that's what you're going to be about, then we're going to make you be about what you said you were going to be about. We have legitimate discontent. Not only that, our declaration says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But then it says that the people have the right, whenever there's been a long train of abuses, the people have the right to reshape, restructure, and change that government. Anytime it is contrary to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want to suggest that unnecessary poverty has been a long train of abuse. People not having health care has been a long train of abuse. Not raising the minimum wage for, to a living wage has been a long train of abuse. Underfunding education has been a long train of abuse. Attacking gay people and trans people and the LGBTI community has a long train of abuse. And we have a right and a duty And so, my brothers and sisters, there's one more thing that gathers us here. We must know our calling. And what is our calling in what I call the aftermath? We had it on the screen. I'd have somebody put up the aftermath. You see, the before math 
was 140 million people living in poverty and low wealth. 87 million people without health care or underinsured. Before math. Before math was nearly a million people who are homeless. The before math or without homes or on the brink of homelessness. The before math was people being able to buy unleaded gas and can't buy unleaded water. The before math, according to the Columbia School of Public, Mailman School of Public Policy in 2009, was 250,000 people dying a year from poverty. 700 people a day, the before math. And then COVID hit. In fact, the before math was people dying, poverty being the fourth highest cause of death. You're going to hear that today. That's not because of COVID. That's what we went into COVID with. And then the during math was 330,000 people dying from COVID, not dying from COVID, but dying because they didn't have health care. States that could have expanded health care didn't. And so in places like Mississippi, we had one family lost 20 members in a 30-mile radius. That's the doing math. The doing math is that we passed child income tax credit, picked a large percentage of children out of poverty, and then dropped them right back into poverty. During COVID, we called people essential but treated them like they were expendable. Go to work, we said, as a nation, and save us but we're not going to pay you a living wages. Go to work and risk your life, but we're not going to give you health care. Go to work. Go to work. Go to work. But you, we're going to treat you like, oh, we'll ring a bell at 6 o'clock. We'll clap our hands. But that doesn't do anything when you go to work and you feel like you're saving people who don't even care if you live. We're going to take a short station break, and when we return, we'll continue with the voice of Bishop William Barber. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth. If you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 30 days after that, just go to the KPFK website. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety and you can download a free podcast. We are also heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Atlanta, Georgia, and internationally to our listeners in Paris, France. We are now going to continue hearing part one of Bishop William Barber addressing the 2023 Poor People's Campaign Moral Poverty Action Congress. During, during the COVID, we saw uh, 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 large numbers of people, poor people, died at a rate three to five times higher than the rest of the country. And it wasn't because COVID 
discriminated toward poor people, it's because the nation discriminated in how we made sure poor people had what they needed to survive during COVID. During COVID, we saw that we had an opportunity to raise the living wage. And if we had nearly 50 million Americans would have been raised up and others would have been raised up out of poverty and low wealth. 41% of all African Americans could have been raised out of poverty and low wealth with one vote. The vote comes, it's been debated, it's been a part of the presidential campaign, and then two Democrats and 49 Republicans say no to nearly 50 million people. But they give 68% of all the COVID relief money to corporations. <clears throat> and we make more billionaires during COVID while more poor people fall into poverty. Because, because we lifted them for a moment you know, somebody said poverty numbers went down. Yeah, they did, about $20 million. They went down because of the stuff we were fighting for. And it, we proved that if you do the right policies, you can end poverty and low wealth. The problem is we did a little bit during COVID. And then after COVID, now all the stuff is being snatched away. Just last week, 6 million people thrown off of Medicaid. Come on. That's the during man. And so here we are now in the aftermath. What do we do in the aftermath? And in the aftermath, the numbers are going back up. In the aftermath, we're finding out that what we went into, we didn't know the fourth leading cause of death. In the aftermath, a over a million people died from COVID and we haven't spent one week mourning. Just one week mourning and remembering. Well, my brothers and sisters, since we're in the aftermath, then we must make a solemn declaration. Those who have died will not have died in vain. We cannot turn back now. In the aftermath, we must intensify and embolden our agitation. We must commit even the more in the aftermath to shift the narrative, to build a movement, to put a face on the pain, to refuse to accept things as they are. We must commit in the aftermath to be even greater truth tellers and love showers and justice seekers and movement builders. We must be in state capitals. We must be in Congress. We must be in the street. We must be in pulpits. We must be in voting we must be seen, we must be heard, we must be felt, we must use every moral and nonviolent tool at our disposal. We don't have to be an insurrection because we are a resurrection and we're not going anywhere. Nowhere. We cannot be silent anymore. We cannot be unseen or unheard anymore. We cannot accept poverty as a death sentence. We must have a third reconstruction. We must face these interlocking injustices with an intersectional moral fusion movement to turn the tide and to help heal the land. And guess what? We are that movement. 
Tell your neighbor, we are that movement. We are that movement until death is stopped, until children are protected, until sick folk are healed. We are that movement until low-wage workers are paid and affordable houses are provided and the atmosphere is saved. We are that movement until voting rights are expanded, until saving the world and living in peace and lifting the poor is more important than spending money to blow up the world and hurt the poor. We are that movement. We will be that movement. We are not going anywhere. We won't be silent anymore. Are you that movement? Are you going to stand since you're alive in the aftermath? Stand since you made it through COVID. Stand since you're still here. Stand. Somebody shout. That's right. That's right. Poor People's Campaign. A national call for moral revival. We are that. Now we have to deal with, and the reason we invited C-SPAN because we can't keep this knowledge in here. You can't shock the heart of the nation if you keep your light under a bushel. 
You can't shock the heart of the nation and be a moral defibrillator unless you go where the problem is. And so truth is a moral defibrillator. Policies don't change just with numbers. Policies change when you connect faces to numbers. That's why in this movement, we really don't have a lot of things we do. We want to be faithful over a few things, right? Change the narrative, put a face on the policies, do simultaneous committed things so we're not all individual states doing our own thing, right? Engage at state capitals, which we'll talk about Wednesdays. Engage in the Congress. Be a massive, awake the massive sleeping giant of poor and low wealth people who now make up 40% of the electorate in battleground states and 30% in, in non-battleground states. And then just keep being consistent. You don't, you don't chop a tree down with one, one hit of the ax. You got to cut where you want it to fall. That's why we always have an agenda. We ain't loud and just loud and we're not just cursing the darkness, we got an answer. Worst thing you can do is get up and talk about what's wrong and not have an answer. And once we, and that's our angle. And then we just keep hitting in the same place. I don't know if we are that movement that will finish what others started. I don't know if we're that movement that will push all the way almost to the end and then another generation will finish it. But we are that movement, that intersectional moral fusion movement. And we're here to stay. And we're in every state. We got tri-chairs. So you can't kill all of us. <laughs> Ain't no one person going to stop this movement. And we love this country enough to call out an impoverished democracy. And we love all the people in it, whether you got a card or no card, because God made you. You are a creation of the divine. And you're welcome in our midst. <laughs> this, this session is on poverty equals death. That's a, just to say that makes you almost sick on the stomach. That poverty equals death. And so with the Poor People's Campaign, the National Call for a Moral Revival, and um, the Yale Center for Public Policy and Public Theology, we wanted to sponsor this first session. Prayers of the Breach in Kairos Center to sponsor this first session so that we really know what's going on, not assume it. We want it to be on you when you go tomorrow. We want your eyes to look like you've seen the death and you can't accept it. We want, we want your hearts to be pumping with a moral uh, this, uh, uh, refusal, you know, like sometimes you just got to have an eternal discontent. You don't have to be evil. You don't have to use weapons and knives and kill nobody. But you can have an eternal discontent. But you first got to see it. And then we said in this movement, we will not be loud and So we got these powerful scholars. And they told me, we've been, they said, we've been waiting for a movement. And I said, well, we got one. Bring your footnotes on over here. <laughs> Give them a hand. Dr. David Brady. Wave your hand, David. Dr. Valerie Wilson, economic policy. Dr. Greg, come here. Gonzalez, the public health specialist from Yale. Dr. David Brady, he's got all this research. 
And then, and then our own attorney, Valerie Equivon. And coming to us by live, by video, Jonathan Hartgrove, Minister Jonathan Hartgrove. He's at a conference where people are, are, are getting uh, uh, white nationalism and white evangelicalism exercised out of them. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Pamela, would you share your story from Alabama? Hi, my name is Pamela Roach. I'm from Lowndes County, Alabama. And I live in a mobile home with my two kids. Hey, Pam. Hi. William Barber. Hi, Reverend Barber. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for um, letting us come. And I just heard you, you stay here, and I yes. just heard 100,000 out here. Yes. Over 100,000. Over 100,000. Single wife, 20 years ago. Yeah. You're still paying for it. Mm -hmm. And look at this. She's actually in the shape. Yeah. Because with $100,000 20 years ago, you could have bought a house. Yeah. But they scammed. They wouldn't give you the loan for the house, but they give you the loan for the credit. Yeah, I might want to work out, too. But see, it should there. be illegal, your sensor, to, 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 to charge somebody. This is probably five times more than it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and 20 years ago. What you got here is predatory lending, mm -hmm. which is all predatory lending. And when mm -hmm. people lend in poor communities get people all tied up in debt forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right you know because on a house mortgage interest is only normally about what three percent yeah. something like that yeah i feel bad because i don't have stuff to give my children mm -hmm. i'm paying all these bills and they be school clothes and stuff and they be asking me for i can't give it to them mm -hmm. Do you see that somebody that would take advantage of a poor family yeah, as criminal? Yeah, it was take, it's, yes, it's like it's, it's a criminal. It's criminal. Yes, they treated us wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Can I pray with you? Mm-hmm. Eternal God who loves justice, mercy, and grace, we thank you today for Pamela, mm -hmm. her strength, her family. We stand against this kind of oppression and wrong. And we thank you for giving her the courage by your spirit to say, I'll no longer be quiet or silent or in hiding. And her daughter's in the room, I believe. Yes, she's she 10 years old and she has is on a CPAC machine, pre-existing condition, because of the mold that's in this trailer that she can't get out of because of predatory lending in Alabama. I worked 41 years in the coal mines. I have black lung. But I'm here to tell you, as long as I've got a voice, I'm going to fight with everything I've got to try to get these guys their black lung benefit. Right now, there's a move on, especially in Kentucky, with this uh, new right-to-work law. Now, it's gotten rid of ever. United Mine Worker Union in the state of Kentucky. There's none anymore in the state of Kentucky. Hmm. I've been a union member since 1968. I have black lung. I worked 41 years in the coal mines. Hmm. But to get back to your question, when you introduce laws like that, you're not looking at increasing minimum wage. You're looking at going backwards. The war on poverty supposedly started 50-some uh, years ago. We got an old saying in the coal mines, 
it's rough at the face. Well, where I live in southeastern Kentucky, it's rough at the face because the poverty in that area hasn't gotten better. It's worse today than it's ever been. And it's not looking any, any promising at all until something is done. I had a conversation one time and somebody said, well, Reverend Barber, uh, why don't you just, you know, do things with black people? And Liz said, why don't you just do things with women? That's not what a moral future movement is. And, and, and you have to hear that. This is a space where we put a black woman in Alabama in the same space with a Kentucky coal miner. We put a Kentucky coal miner in the same space as a native indigenous brother and his suicide children. Because what we recognize is that everybody has a right to live. And we don't have, and, and, and while silos are important sometimes, we have to have at least a movement, a moral movement in every moment in history that connects the dots and the injustices and recognizes that you don't have to put racism over here and classism over here and ecological devastation over here and all that because the truth of the matter is if you die from cancer you don't die black you don't die white you don't die republican you don't die democrat you die dead <laughs> now that doesn't mean we don't we that doesn't mean we disrespect this disparity we do we do disaggregation of the numbers oh that's important you have to we do the percentage disaggregation and the raw number disaggregation. That's why in this movement we can tell you that there are 26 million poor low-wealth black people. That's 60% of the black population. There are 30% of poor low-wealth white people. That's 66 million white folk. 26 million black, 66 million white. We look at the percentage differences. We look at the impact. But what we also know is if you're poor and you can't pay your light bill, when the lights go off, we all black in the dark. And there has to be a moral fusion movement that says you won't divide us anymore and recognizes that the same forces that attack the LGBTQI community are the same ones attacking voting rights. And the same ones attacking voting rights are attacking health care. And the same ones attacking health care are attacking living wages. And the same ones attacking living wages are blocking, fixing the environment. And the same ones blocking, fixing the environment are funding the military. And the same ones funding the military in gross ways are oftentimes engaged in religious nationalism. And if they are cynical enough to be together, we have to be smart enough to come together and to stay together. That's what a moral fusion movement does. It's not about being an organization, it's about being an organism. And so now Dr. Brady, who has brought this research to life, because he told me something one day, he didn't hear me after he said it, I cursed a couple of times, because he said, he, he said and I put my phone on me, I said, did he just say the stuff is readily available? It's sitting out there. And I said, well, if it's sitting out there, why is it that every night you hear about homicide, but you don't hear about death by poverty, and yet poverty is killing more people than homicide? Killing more people than the police. And so we invited him to come. You've already introduced the, the scholars. We're going to have a conversation. And he's going to take a few minutes and walk us through the footnote of our frustration. He's going to walk through the logical, empirical data that undergirds our legitimate discontent. All right? Dr. Brake. Thank you.
we're out of time. I'd like to uh, thank the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for Moral Revival for making this sound available to you. I'd like to thank Katia Stitt, the program director of KPFK's sister station in Washington, D.C., WPFW, for her help with today's show. Today's show produced um, by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I want to give a special thanks to Jose uh, Benavides, who has been uh, doing a terrific job just assisting uh, the show over these past weeks. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air Tuesday of next week. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. And y'all, please remember to stay well and safe and have a wonderful rest of the week.